From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, June 16th. The Defense-Related Uranium Mines, or DRUM, program searches for and safeguards Cold War-era excavations. It's a partnership between the Department of Energy and various federal and state land agencies. Their focus now is mines on public lands, and southeastern Utah has its share. Justin Higginbottom went out with a drum team to check on the status of one of those abandoned mines. I'm driving down a winding dirt road into the Mineral Bottom Recreation Area. Below is the Green River between Red Rock Cliffs, some of the best off-road trails, and around a dozen old uranium mines. So back in the day, the Atomic Energy Commission incentivized mining for uranium, So that way they could produce uranium for defense purposes. And so um, they incentivized a lot of the mining that that occurred between 1947 and 1970. That's Ian Schaefer. He's with the Department of Energy. The U.S. government was the sole buyer of uranium ore during those decades following World War II. Schaefer explains that the state has accepted liability for safeguarding the remnants of those sites. Today's mission is Horse Thief 7. A team has already closed it. But today, Schaefer and others are checking for any dangers to the public that might remain. This area was a high um, priority for local BLM and state offices because of the high recreational use. We pass mountain bikers slowly climbing this dirt road, and boaters are floating down the calm stretch of river. If you see this greenish material, you'll see it kind of looks like a rock, but it's actually timbers that are uh, leading to a horizontal opening. So we're going to walk up to that. The mine is a short hike from the road. Under an overhang held up with logs is a metal grate keeping the public from entering. There's a yellow sign with the radioactive hazard symbol in the entrance to make sure they get the idea. But this is this is a pretty traditional mine for us. Um, a lot of these mines are situated on a cliff bench like this. That's Zach Schuler, today's team leader. So if we can get a photo of it, that'll help us with our GPS information and tie that feature to, you know, BLMs or the state's database if we need to. His group includes an ecologist and geologist, the safety expert, and the data they collect isn't only helpful for mountain bikers. You know, we're providing really helpful wildlife and ecology data to the land management agencies. Um, You know, we can confirm that bighorn sheep are using this area. Today's first mine is small, and it looks like whoever closed it did a good job. Yeah, this is gonna be super simple. Um, You know, some of our mine sites are these tiny little contained things, and some are acres large and are, like, super complex. There's no big hazards to the public here, like open shafts or dangerous overhangs, but not all mines are like this one. You'll take, you know, three actual steps back because something seems really dangerous. Not all mine openings are in this good of condition. And there's no elevated levels of radiation. This one doesn't have anything. And so, as far as risk-wise for gamma, it's non-existent here. This is below back, background. That's Kyle Bishop. He's walking around with a heavy device in a backpack that records gamma radiation. What you're worried about is not necessarily the radiation. Yes, there's probably a lot of radon in there. I'm sure certain there's a lot of radon. It's the bad air. So you get into these things and you'll have either no oxygen or you'll have literally I'll just make simple poisonous air inside of there. And you get, you get too far down in there and you'll just essentially just pass out and die. The team begins moving out to the next location. 
Um, so we're gonna go explore another possible mining location just down this drill road. There's an entire department that sorts through old mining claims and Google Earth images to find these sites. Drum started with over 3,000 mines on their list. They've checked off around 1,900 since 2017, many in the Colorado Plateau. So this is our secondary point. You know, it's not uncommon for us to get to these, these locations um, and find no evidence of mining. The impact might have been very low or nothing was ever mined but it's still helpful for the team to cross the area off the list of potential hazards. Coming off the crest there, you mapped and photoed. Um, Kyle got gamma, Rob, you took your soil samples. That's all we got. For a more complex mine, that list gets a lot longer and it's harder to keep track of. Back at the car, Bishop scans the team for radiation exposure. There's nothing, so we're... Nothing there, but that's what we would do, we'd scan ourselves. Everyone's good. No more radioactive than those not visiting uranium mines. They'll continue on to other sites today. Only 1,500 mines or so to go. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. After a canceled 2020 and a scaled-back 2021, the Telluride Bluegrass Festival is back in full force. The 49th annual festival runs today through Sunday, but activity was already underway a few days before its official start as throngs of festival goers filled the Telluride Town Park campground. Matt Hoish, with our partners at KOTO, spoke with some of these campers about what they're excited for and how it feels to be back for the first full-on festival in three years. It is one of the most magical places on earth. I think of it as grown-up summer camp, where you get to just come be whoever you want to be and just have fun with other people and play and enjoy incredible music and build community unlike anywhere else in the world. My name is Caroline Mitchell, and I'm from Fort Collins. Hey, I'm Brian Roney. I think this is year 18. Feels great because I missed the last couple years with COVID. And so, yeah, this is the first time we've been here since, I guess, 19. There's a lot of not good stuff happening in the world, and this is kind of not that. This is everyone's, everyone's on their best behavior. Doesn't feel as polarized. People aren't talking politics. People aren't talking about why everyone's different. People are just having a good time. My name is Anita Hartley, and I live in Steamboat Springs, and this is my mm, fifth year at the Bluegrass Fest. There's so many good friends here, and it just makes me feel full and happy. There's not a moment that I'm stressed out, you know, like I was just scrubbing the grime off my grill, but I was still having a good old time because my friends are sitting there playing banjo and guitar right next to me, and certain things in life can become mundane, and none of that is here. campground's full of musicians which is really cool so it's like always a party it's just so fun it's the most fun I've ever had in my entire life I grew up listening to heavy metal actually so it was kind of like a surprise about how much I loved bluegrass when I first heard it I like that bluegrass is more nuanced than it seems initially I think it's one of those types of music that if you're not paying attention, it can 
sound kind of alike, but there's so much variety within bluegrass that there's a lot for everybody. Jess Steinitz. Jim Schleep. I didn't get into bluegrass music until my first Telluride Bluegrass Festival back in 2013. I keep coming back here ever since then. My name is AJ. My trail name is Slowpoke. I've been hiking the Continental Divide Trail from Mexico. I started back in April and I got to Silverton about five days ago and just walked here. I've been a, you know, on a journey of spaces and this is one of the better spaces in the universe as far as I'm concerned. Chrissy Campbell. It's an awesome community. These people are so special to me. They're kind of like my extended family. It's like a big family reunion every year. Some people haven't been here for several years and so and then one of our last years together, we had some tragedy um, and we're all kind of like, you know, like getting together and talking about that too. And, and so there's a lot of emotions. Anyway, I'm gonna try to get through this. I make no promises. <laughs> From the sands of Olima, we out on the Molly's Bay. I'm Mark Gibson from Downey Cortez. I've been coming to this festival since, uh, I guess about 2002. I walked in the first time and haven't missed it since. We were remembering one of the elder statesmen of this whole tribe. Jerry Lunchford was uh, one of the guys that held this whole community together and he passed on his way here in 2019, right down between Dolores and Rico. He had a car accident. It took him out on his way to, to festival. And um, this is the first time the whole group's been here to, to have a memorial for him, and that's what this was. So tell the ones you love, make peace with the ones you don't. Always slow down for life's curves. Let's turn up the radio. The Kitchen Dwellers are here this year, and I love them, so they're probably one of the things I'm looking forward to the most, so. My favorite band is always Punch Brothers. Green Sky Bluegrass. I think Molly Tuttle is high on the list. Definitely the Dusters, uh, Watch House. Oh, and I'm so excited the Ducks are coming back. I got to see them here a number of years ago, so I'm really excited to see them again. Who doesn't want to see Tenacious D at a bluegrass festival? <laughs> That was Matt Hoysch reporting with our partners at KOTO. The 49th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival runs today through Sunday. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, June 16th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.